Welcome to Power Yourself, where we discuss the most important topic in the world, you. When we have to deliver unpleasant news, it can be an anxious and stressful time. How do we broach a delicate subject? How do we ask about something that we would like changed? Well, in today's episode, we drill down on difficult conversations. What makes them so hard? And tips on making them not only less stressful, but fulfilling. And with me, as always, is someone I'm going to have a conversation today with, but it's not a difficult one. It's a fun one. It's Jillian Power. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this one today because, you know, we talk about ways to make our lives better. We talk about ways that we can improve. And this one, I don't want to say it feels negative, but it feels like now we're getting into the dirty work on really uncovering some areas of our lives that we may want to shine some light on and clean up. Well, I think that's very important because things are not always going to go according to plan or how we want them to be. So I know we talked about uh, setting boundaries last episode. So these are when, or this is going to be helpful when maybe somebody's not meeting those boundaries. And yeah, we-, we could almost look at this as a two-parter. You know, the first one is setting up boundaries, and the second one could be having a difficult conversation when those boundaries are broken, or having a difficult conversation about any aspect of your life. If someone maybe, you know, you're not on the same page, either physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually, and you want to bring up something that could potentially, you know, the wheels could fall off and they could not take the news very well. Yeah, and you're feeling, like I think we touched on it before, that awkward kind of uncomfortable feeling. So, you know, you can look at it this way. You know, you have your boundaries that you try to live by, your healthy boundaries for yourself and for others. Absolutely. If they're not met, then you have to have these difficult conversations. So hopefully we'll give you some tools to help have these conversations and make them a little easier. But you can also look at the other side. If I do not have these conversations, then I'm looking at a bigger situation. I'm looking at like conflict resolution. So meaning like there's been a continuous amount of stuff that's building up and you're blowing. And now it's a source of this huge negative energy that you have to have a big conversation around. So you can almost look at this as like the pre-maintenance so that it doesn't become this bigger issue or situation. It reminds me of a of an interesting situation. A couple weekends ago, I went to a family reunion, and one of the my family members was a police officer for many many years. Had a whole career as a police officer, and one of the I asked him. I said, "What's the most difficult thing like being a police officer?" And he said, "One of the most difficult days on the job for him was when he had to go visit an employ a, a person's place of work. So they're an employee working, and they have to tell them that someone in their life had died that morning." So it could be a kid, it could be a spouse. So he has to go into a department store, find the manager, and say, hey, I need to talk to so-and-so, the employee, telling the manager, here's why I'm here. And they go over and they pull the employee aside and they say, your husband has been killed in an automobile accident, or your husband has gone missing and there's been a police report filed. I mean, talk about a difficult conversation. Wow. And I was asking him, how did, how did you do that? What was, what was involved? So that really sort of, for me, kind of formed the impetus of this idea of talking about difficult conversations because hopefully nothing in your life will ever be that stressful. But even the smaller things in our lives can still be a 
big source of anxiety. So I have some examples that I'm just going to throw out there, and then maybe we can talk about some of them. So delivering bad news, whatever. It could be something as dramatic as a death in the family, or it could be something even like maybe in the office, maybe someone's work is not satisfactory. That can be stressful too. Absolutely. And I think having the tools and having, I want to say, the courage to have these conversations, you're going to improve your relationships. You're going to make them more genuine and transparent and i think it's important for any relationship in our life to be functioning to be able to have even the most awkward conversations absolutely so another example i have is when someone in your life has behavior that you find offensive so you could be at a party or you could be at work or you could be in your life somewhere and someone is doing something that you just find completely offside so quick example, the easy examples I find would be somebody who's using racist language or sexist language. Maybe they're using misogynistic language. But it could also just be where you're not happy with the way the relationship's going. You're not getting out of the relationship what you were putting into it. And so in that respect, you could sit down and have a conversation with them and just say, hey, how are you feeling about this? I'm not real happy with this relationship. Can I get your feedback on it? I'd like it to be something else. I think that all goes back to the conversation. So I think they'll get into some tips when we start talking about ways to have uh, difficult conversations. But I think first of all, going in with the genuine curiosity and openness to receive the other person's opinion and perception as well, I think that's going to be essentially key. Another example we have is admitting that you have a condition that you may find embarrassing. And it's not necessarily something that everyone would find embarrassing, but it's something that you personally would find embarrassing. And what I'm thinking of in, in this example, sometimes people are going through something in their life. It could be a divorce. It could be an illness. It could be a situation in the community with a neighbor or with a loved one. And they're sometimes reluctant to bring it up in a work setting or with their friends. I know, for example, a friend of mine was going through something personally, and he was really nervous about bringing it up. And we sat down and had lunch the one day, and he brought it up with me, and I went, oh, I personally didn't think it was that big of a deal to me. I thought it's tough that he's going through this, but I wasn't particularly embarrassed for him. Whereas he really struggled to bring it up. And he said, you know, it's it's really been weighing on me and I'd really like to bring this up. And I thought, wow, it's interesting how our perceptions could be so different about the same event. And I think that's so important. So to remember on the days that you're, you're looking at having these conversations and maybe you're avoiding it because you're so anxious or you're so stressed out about how it will be received, we don't know how it is going to be received, okay? So it's about trying to push past the fears in a way and have and start the conversation because think about it like this. To have a strong relationship there's a level of vulnerability, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. So you're showing up and you're exposing yourself. So when you're having these difficult conversations and maybe you're doing that dialogue in your head of they're going to get so mad at me or I'm so stressed out at how this is going to affect us, maybe you can start to reframe, okay? So condition your brain a little differently and go, wait a second, instead of it can negatively impact the relationship. Maybe it's going to actually positively impact the relationship because I'm showing the courage to show up and be me. I'm sharing my emotions and my situations with that other person so that we can have 
an authentic bond as opposed to being in a relationship and never really sharing your true self. I always find that so sad. Like, yeah, I think that's a good point. It kind of harkens me back to when I was a little kid. And I remember, you know, when you're in grade school, you have some friends and you might wind up as a kid lying to the friend because you don't want to hurt their feelings or you don't, you, you agree to do things you don't really want to do because, you know, everyone else is doing it. And I remember my mom telling me, if you have to work that hard, maybe they're not really your friends. Oh, and it's, and it was such great advice great to be advice, given right? so young. Of course, you know, I'm in grade five. I have better things to do than listen to my mother, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'm thinking about that now as an adult. And you're absolutely right. If you're avoiding friends, if you're avoiding relationships because of the difficultness of the conversation, it may be time to look at that relationship and ask yourself, is this really a friendship or is this really a relationship? And then the some... answer might be unpleasant, but it might be the truth. And sometimes relationships meet their timeline like sometimes i feel people are in our life they serve a purpose they allow growth and maybe that doesn't mean that we're together as friends until we're 96 years old sitting on the the bench <laughs> kind of sure. having a conversation but i think the important thing is to realize sometimes we can convince ourselves before even giving that person the opportunity so i think staying open you know, when we hear that negative dialogue, be, wait a second, let's not anticipate the reaction. Let's give people the benefit of their doubt and show that genuine vulnerability of showing up and being your authentic self. And maybe that situation's going to surprise you. So trying not to think of the worst possible outcome, maybe being that this is something that can catapult us to the next level of friendship. I completely agree. Another example we have of a difficult conversation would be for us to be the prompt in the conversation for us to admit that we've made a mistake or that we've made a bad decision. That can be tough too. So it's not so much finding that the other person has done something wrong, but us coming forward and actually confessing and saying, we screwed up, we made a mistake. Well, I think sometimes that has a lot to do with ego, if I could say, like the fact that, you know, we don't really want to broadcast where we failed or I feel that's how our society is displayed right now. And I would definitely fight against that because for me, I feel it is about saying when we've made a mistake and setting that tone and setting that transparency, I feel then other people can then and only then realize that it's not just them feeling defeated or it's not just them making the mistake that it's a it's a person it's a human experience to go through those mistakes and through mistakes we find the better versions of ourselves and why things are important so i think being honest about failing in a certain situation or making the wrong choice wow that can be such a powerful conversation for somebody that you don't even know how powerful it could be. It's uh, interesting. You know, I can kind of lump my friends and my family and people that I know in the world, coworkers, whoever it may be, and kind of lump them into two camps. And there's one that, that come to mind where they use the language where they say something about getting into trouble. Oh, I'm worried about getting into trouble. I might get into trouble. And I have a whole nother group uh, that just never enters their mind. They never use that language ever. It just never comes up. So in the context of having a difficult conversation, some of us listening to the podcast today might think, 
well, if I, if I admit that I made a mistake, I might get into trouble. But there's a whole other subset of people out there that that just doesn't even enter their mind. They go, I welcome the trouble. I welcome the truth. And I would rather go through that uncomfortableness to get to a better place rather than avoiding, quote unquote, getting into trouble. And it's just, it's being genuine with our experiences. I felt if, that's a whole, oh my God, I want to go there so bad. (laughs) Like it's that transparency and, and genuineness of, hey man, I'm not perfect, you know, Nobody is. Let's be real about that. Let's talk about the 16 times that we've tried to do something before we actually did the the perfect you know experience or the perfect outcome before we got that. How many times we tried before just to be transparent and and show each other the the kind of pat on the shoulder or, or the hey, don't give up stuff's hard and sometimes we fail so yeah like being genuine or compassionate with each other to to be our authentic selves and say how hard it was to get there and be real i feel that can be a very powerful thing there's a common thread i'm finding through many of these examples and it's the discomfort it's the uncomfortableness of the conversation or the uncomfortableness in life so you could be you know, physically uncomfortable if you're training for a marathon or mentally uncomfortable if you're having a difficult conversation. And I'm noticing a trend that you tend to not shy away from the discomfort. We had a whole episode where we talked a little bit about uh, learning and about what it, what it means to fail. And you don't seem particularly afraid of that. It doesn't necessarily bother you. You don't even see it really as a negative in many ways. You just go, well, it's just an opportunity to learn. And I might fail 50 times, but that's 50 lessons to then succeed on the 51st try. So I find it funny when we talk about difficult conversations, because you don't strike me as a type of person who shies away from the the uh, uncomfortableness of having that conversation. For me, it's, I get excited. Like, honestly, I, I feel so honored. And <laughs> it's like I'm choking up here. <laughs> but I do, I feel very honored when people show up and they're their authentic selves, even though I might not agree. Like, oh my God, we're all different. Absolutely, we're totally different people. I'm going to have my sets of values or my experiences that made me who I am. And, and you have your whole different, you know, adventure that came to be, Carl. So we're going to differ. But I feel so honored and so gifted and blessed when people show up and show me their genuine self and they're raw and maybe emotional or sad and they're just you know what Jill this is how it is for me I'm going through this this is why I'm having this reaction and we can have that juicy substance conversation and I promise you anytime I've ever had that with a friend it's it's made such a tremendous impact on the the bond that you share because you're you're being real and I just yeah, I never shy away because I think it's an opportunity to have a better relationship. Yeah, there's an interesting thought experiment that we can run where if you get up one morning, maybe it's a work day, but if you get up in the morning and you just make a mental note throughout the day of the amount of times that we are asked to comply with society throughout our day. You know, you get up, you get dressed, you don't go to work naked. You get up, you get <laughs> dressed. Of course, you're complying with society. They, everyone wants you to wear clothes, right? You get in a car, you drive the speed limit, you stop at a red light, you come into work, 
you don't tell everybody what you really think. If you had a crappy weekend, you go, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like there's just nonstop compliance in our daily lives. And over the course of days and weeks and years, it really conditions a person that we really value comfort and compliance so that when we step out of that for any reason to have a difficult conversation, it can be a real shock to the system. We're not wired necessarily uh, to make it easy. And so we need, so that's why I'm glad we're spending time today talking about this. I find that with my friends, my real friends, we disagree all the time. It's very normal that we would disagree about things and we'd debate and have great conversations. So I feel like you can kind of live two lives a little bit. You have societal pressures making you comply, but in your real life, your real authentic life with your friends, there's plenty of room for disagreeing and different opinions and learning. That, those are actually good things. Opportunity. You know, so much opportunity to just be able to build the relationship and air it. Like, that's where I always go back to. And that's why I find such substance in being real and having those conversations is because by you explaining how hard it is for you in a certain area of your life, you don't get how impactful that can be to the other individual. Like I've been on the receiving end of somebody, you know, telling me what they're going through or how they went through an event and thinking that they thinking that they were overreacting. And my reaction was like, Oh wow, I totally can relate. And thank you for saying that out loud because that actually made me feel like, a little bit more, first of all, connected to you as the person who's sharing, but also, wow, I shouldn't be embarrassed because that happened to me too. Right, right. There's some value in some shared suffering on some level. You know, we've all gone through difficult pieces of our lives. And when you share that with someone else, it can be very comforting. You go, you know what? I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that this has ever happened to, or the only person that ever stumbled into this unfortunate piece of my life. It's comforting. It's bonding. It's, I love it. You're eliminating that alone feeling. And I think, unfortunately, with like all the events around us in society today, it's really easy to feel alone. So Take the opportunity, have that difficult conversation, even though it feels awkward at start, I promise you it's an opportunity to grow. So it's, it's whether or not you're going to choose to look at it that way. And I feel when you genuinely do, you bring that genuine, authentic curiosity to that conversation and you're not coming into it with hostility or anger. You're coming into it with I, I want to, to share with you. I want to bond. I want us to be better. And one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because Jillian can play good cop and then I can swoop in now and be bad cop. So I'm going to go through five <laughs> examples of why difficult conversations are so difficult. So Jillian just pumped us up and said, we got to do it. It's important. Now I'm going to throw out five reasons why it can be really difficult. So let's go through them here. I'll list all five and then feel free to speak about them. First one is anxiety. We are nervous about the reaction of the other person. Consequences is another one. We might be judged. We might be told we're wrong. If it's at a workplace setting, we might even be fired. There's a risk that we would run. So the I think with two of them, I'm like, before you even go to the yeah. third girl stuff, <laughs> but the two of them, it's the story you're telling yourself. Okay. So important thing here guys to be self-aware and acknowledge i 
I can 100% sympathize and I understand anxiety so much. Like some days you feel like you're losing. You honestly do. I, I'm sure we will spend a whole podcast on ways to get through because I definitely have to amp up my self-care on those days. But regardless, knowing that the, that anxiety piece and the consequence piece, that's the story you're telling yourself. So you're choosing to use that dialogue in your head. And that's going to increase your anxiety. Okay, so that's almost like the worst case scenario. That's, that's the record you're choosing to play in your head. So I would say, hold up. Okay, when you're starting to feel that way, you're starting to feel anxious. You're starting to go, oh my God, this is going to end our relationship. Wait a second. Look at the other side. Start rephrasing that self-talk. And honestly, I cannot even convey to you how important and monumental that that action, because it's not an easy action, I can 100% sympathize, but how that action can change the whole situation, okay? It can actually lower your heart rate and it can you know, make you feel calm and more relaxed about having those conversations. So watch the self-talk that's happening. Instead of it's going to end the relationship, maybe it's actually going to bond us together because I'm sharing with you. You know, instead of I'm going to get fired, maybe it's, wow, my boss is going to be appreciative that I am being this transparent and I care that much about the organization as a whole. And I think it's important that, especially that last piece, it was all important, but I think that last piece is especially important because if you find yourself in that situation, somebody might be listening to the podcast right now thinking, oh, easy for you to say, Jillian, but if I'm fired, I'm fired. It's not just them telling me I'm fired, but I like what you said there because if your manager were to get upset, you could use that language and you could say, hold on, before you fire me, here's the reason I'm telling you this. I care about the company. I'm acting like an owner. I'm acting like the president. I'm wearing the importance of this to you. And as a result, I would love to be heard and respected because of that. That could go a long way in a conversation. And that might make the other person stop and go, hold on here, they're right. I need to really consider what I'm doing here. I can't just react poorly to it. And I think that's a, a powerful thing to really say, Carl. Because I find when people over, I, I don't want to say overreact, but when they react strongly, let's say, there's something behind it. So if somebody is meeting you with aggression or if they're meeting you with some kind of or volatile <laughs> action, reaction, something's there, okay? And maybe it's because it's a strong value with them or maybe they're misunderstanding or maybe they're going through something. So I think if you're willing to have that conversation and you see a reaction, I think it's important to stop and deal with that reaction, wow, I, I'm noticing a lot of passion coming from you here. Can you tell me what you just heard? Because sometimes, guys, like it goes back to mind reading. Sometimes in our head, we think that they know what we're saying, but sometimes they don't. They don't get it. So getting the person to rephrase it back to you, that can be a huge, a huge factor in actually making sure that you're communicating effectively. Yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me of a funny story. Uh, years ago, um, when I was working for a company years and years ago, we had a boss, and he was a younger guy, and he was a really charismatic guy. 
and he pulled one of our coworkers into his office and he basically told him that there was a piece of his job that wasn't good enough. And so the coworker came out and he was understandably upset. He's just been told that his performance isn't what he wants it to be. And he was very, the boss was very detailed about what he wanted changed. And then the boss came out afterwards and was acted like there was nothing wrong. Like he just continued on with his day. So I talked to my boss at the end of the day and I said, you know, can I ask, you know, you had the difficult conversation. Weren't you worried that this person would like hate you or judge you? And he said, no, he'll, he'll get over it. And it was just instantly dismissed it as if to say, I told him the truth. He'll get over it. And we'll deal with the issue. We're not going to deal with the person. We're not going to let it label the person. He has a chance to change his behavior. Oh. He has a chance to get better. So I'm not going to hold it over him. I've, in, I've established what the problem was. He agreed. And we're working to resolve it. We are working to resolve it. It wasn't me versus him. It was the two of us working against the issue. I thought that was so, it was so succinctly put and so quickly put. And it was so not dramatic. It was a real life-changing moment for me. I remember looking at him thinking, wow, this young charismatic manager there's a reason he was manager. He just walked in and he owned the situation and said, it's you and me versus the problem. It's not you versus me. And see that right there, that's the leaders I want to be around. I want to surround myself with those types of managers. How powerful that little phrase, and you're talking about it years later. Mm -hmm. So look at how impactful that attitude of his was back way Back in the 1960s. Way back. It was 1920s. <laughs> no, it was many, many years ago. And it was interesting because it was he only ever talked about the issue. He never talked about the person. So I like the idea of having a difficult conversation and saying, look, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you're the problem. I'm saying this issue is the problem. Love so it. let's deal with the you and me. Let's deal with the issue together. I think it means a lot that you and I hold hands and approach the issue together rather than you across the table from me. There's a big mental picture that I have where you come around the other side of the table where you stand next to me and we approach the issue together. But you just nailed it. It is. That's exactly what it is. You're not saying you're wrong. You're wrong as a human being. You're saying this is, this is the thing I don't like. This action, this behavior, this result. Let's brainstorm. Let's put ourselves aside from that issue and actually talk about ways to fix it. It's not saying somebody's evil or somebody's bad or somebody's, you know, a failure or a loser. It's saying, this is just the behavior I don't like. Let's have a conversation. Let's fix it together. I think any difficult conversation that you go into with that collaborative approach, being like it's me and you versus that problem, there is no way you're walking out the door feeling judged and unheard. Exactly. So the third, we've got five that we'll go through. The first one's anxiety, which we covered. Anxiety, we're nervous about the reaction of the other person, and we're anxious about the consequences, which was the second one. We might be judged or told we're wrong. We might even be fired. We covered those. The third one is hurt feelings. We're nervous the other person may be devastated. And that's kind of where I was going with that story with my younger manager there, is he knew, yes, without a doubt, this person was going to have his feelings hurt. But he allowed the person to work through it. He gave them the space and the respect and said, I get it. You're totally allowed to have hurt feelings if you want to have hurt feelings or not. But that's something you own. It's not something I own. And it was very liberating that he stuck to the issue and not the person. I think that's a powerful thing that we can do. And I think that it has to do a little bit about self-awareness too. So that manager would have had to reflect and separate the person from that action. Okay. Or the action, I should say, from the person. 
and then bring that to the conversation so that the person's not feeling attacked and they're not feeling like they're wrong as a whole. They're a bad person. It's just that isolated incident or behavior or situation and really bringing that awareness to it. So sometimes I think we can have a reaction to a behavior from somebody close to us. And I think before we can even have these conversations, that's where we have to be self-aware. So we have to understand what it hit with us. So what chord it hit, why we're anxious, why we're feeling awkward, disrespected, whatever it is, and understanding that piece for ourselves. So that manager would have reflected and then been able to get to the point where he's separating the incident from the individual. So that's probably indicating to you when you're ready to have that conversation. You're not like, this person's evil. You're like, I don't like the way you're treating me in this way. So I think that's an important piece as well. Exactly. Now, the fourth one we want to cover is sort of pivoting a little bit here where we talk about blaming the messenger. We might be nervous about blaming the messenger. So even if you're just reporting the events and you had nothing to do with the situation, you might be blamed and lose a friend or a loved one. And I have an example. I have a thought experiment that our listeners can do right now. So in your mind, picture your best friend in the whole world. And now you're out for dinner and you see your best friend across the room and the best friend is having a romantic dinner but it's not the best friend's spouse it's someone else and you see them kiss and you see them pick up the check and you see them hug and they walk out the door together and you're thinking oh my goodness so the thought experiment is do you tell the best friend's wife or husband do you tell the best friend's spouse and say i saw this with my own eyes he's or she is cheating on you it's an interesting thought experiment. Would you say anything or would you not say anything? Now, everyone's got their own answer, so we're not here to say what we would do, but it's something to think about. Imagine if you did tell the spouse and you said, hey, I've got some bad news. Now, it has nothing to do with you. You were out having a hamburger, minding your own business. And the next thing you know, you're spying on your best friend, cheating on the spouse. This is a real-life example. It happens to people. They're put in this situation for real. It happens in the real world. What would you do? So it's an interesting thought experiment. But if you're going to have that difficult conversation with someone, you might be blamed. They might turn their, their vitriol on you and say, well, you know, for some reason, you're to blame for this. And how dare you bring this up? And I never want to see you again. They might just lash out at you. I have to I have to say like my mouth you guys cannot see my mouth is dropped right now. We don't discuss <laughs> to any extent what we're going to talk about. So I am completely like what I would what would I do? I'm totally like racking my head. Wow, that is a uh, that would be a really hard conversation and it's really hard for me not to say what I would do because you told you said that we're not going to well, do that. Well, I'm not I'm just saying I just I don't want I mean there's no right or wrong, right? Yeah. Some people might think they're totally justified in telling the spouse, somebody might not. And we see this sometimes even in a work environment too, right? We might have a coworker who quote unquote is getting away with things. They're showing up 5 minutes late every day or the manager might not be around and suddenly they're checking Facebook for 20 minutes plus going on their lunch break and you're going, "Oh, do I say something? Do I tattle? And if you do, it might look, it might reflect poorly on you. And it's like, ugh. So it's a terrible I, situation for people to be in. So the rule of thumb that I try to live by is 
I'm never in the other person's shoes. So I have no idea what it was for them, what's happening for them, what their actions are meaning, what they're actually trying to do here. So I always try to bring that reflection piece into one of these situations. Okay. Whatever it is the work or the relationship one. So my perception of something is my perception. And I always have to remember that that's, my perception of the piece. Okay. It's just mine. That doesn't mean to say that's factually the only thing that could be happening. So the person on the computer or the person having lunch with somebody else, I always try, and this is the, maybe the eternal optimist of me. I always try to give people that benefit of the doubt of you need to allow them a chance to explain on their perception or their, you know, understanding of what's happening. Just because we all have different points of view and we all have different, you know, like we can build a story up in our head that has absolutely no factual standing whatsoever. So I think it's really important to maybe get the more accurate picture by allowing a level of transparency and a level of kind of respect to each other to have that conversation. Yeah. So, so I would always start there. And if it is, you know, maybe maybe your friend confided and said, yes, I'm, I'm cheating on my spouse. Now, that would be the difficult part for me because I would have to be like, okay, you told me this, but now I have to have this conversation because your spouse is my friend as well. Like that kind of transparency. And then that would be a difficult conversation. Absolutely. I was actually the recipient of a difficult conversation many, many years ago when I was much younger. I worked in a restaurant and I was the assistant manager of a restaurant, right? So I was showing up and helping out with the scheduling and the night shift worker came over the one morning I showed up for work and he says, I, I got to talk to you. And he looked really upset. And I said, Oh man, okay, well come on over. And we sat down in the corner of the restaurant, not very busy. And he said to me in a low voice, he said, I've been thinking about this all night. I'm really diff- It's been a really difficult decision, but I, I need to tell you. And I said, what, what happened? And he said, well, our, the coworker that I work with on the night shift, she was doing drugs during the night shift. Oh. And he said, I was really, struggling to tell you about this because I don't feel it's my place. And he said, the only reason I'm telling you is because we work with kitchen equipment and machinery. And I'm nervous that if she's high in the kitchen, that she'll injure herself or possibly even kill herself. And we had big industrial mixers and ovens and deep fryers. And he says, I'm, I'm as somebody who's responsible for this kitchen, he was the kitchen, you know, the head guy in the kitchen. He says, as a responsible party, I would never forgive myself if this person, if I didn't say anything and this person showed up high and they hurt themselves or you know, injured themselves at work. And I thought, wow, it was very courageous for him to say something, to come and sit down. You could tell he was visibly upset that he almost felt like on one sense he was doing the right thing, but it was not easy for him to do. Yeah, and that's it. Difficult conversations never are. So I always start with the source of why I'm frustrated or why I'm reacting. And I always have that conversation like, to them or with them first and then everybody else kind of second if you have to but man like that's life right like you are going to run into situations and life events that you do have to do the difficult thing and have those conversations so once again let's let's rephrase it's not it's difficult but it's honest 
you know, and it's an opportunity to kind of, depending on your value system, like for me, it's really important that I live an honest and true life. Like that is something I try to live by. And so that difficult conversation, it's not as difficult as it used to be. I can remember when I first started, it was crippling. (laughs) It was like, go in like, like you're probably green, shaking, sweats. And still sometimes today you still have that. But I find the more I do it, the less awkward and difficult it is for me because I know I know my reaction. I know I'm going to catastrophize the situation. And then it's like, okay, Jill, simmer it down, watch your self-talk, rephrase. It's an opportunity to share, to be transparent, to build the relationship. So I know that's a piece that happens for me right away. So that piece I'm so good with shutting it down and rephrasing. And then it's the physical act of sitting down with the individual. So I think the piece that I try to do is make sure the environment is opened. And by that, I mean a safe, transparent environment. So I'm never coming in the door yelling at somebody or, you know, getting so angry at them because just like all of these examples, Carl, that you gave us, it's a perception of the situation. So we have to allow the opportunity for the other person to give us their perception as well. That's well said. The last risk that we're going to talk about is that the the difficult conversation that we have winds up making the situation worse. So a quick example would be, you know, I've been friends with this person for years, but boy, I've never really been honest about some of the things that I've been stressed about. And so I'm going to have that difficult conversation. So I wind up sitting down one day with them and I say, you know what? There's a couple things going on here. I'm not happy about in the relationship. And much to my surprise, that person freaks out. They flip out, they get angry, they call me a bunch of names, they storm off, and then they literally never speak to me ever again. So that's the risk that in a sense we we do run, that we don't have control over that other person. And to that I would say if somebody and guys, we're all, okay, no matter what you know place we are in our life or in our awareness kind of journey we are going to react to some things and some things are going, we're going to blow up. That's it's human nature. Sometimes somebody's going to hit an insecurity with us and our first reaction is to be like, blah, attack. But that's because when we walk away from that, that's up to us to do that as self-awareness piece and look at why we're so affected by those person's words or comments or conversation. That's on us. So for me, in that example that you just gave, Carl, it would be more like, I think it would tell me if I'm able to have a relationship with that individual, if they came back and were able to say, wow, I stormed off. I wasn't mentally in the place to have that conversation. I felt blindsided. So I feel when you show up and you're genuine and you're, I always say vulnerable because it's about being real to me and who you are and being honest about your experience. I find when you can do that, the relationship for me, it never has a timeline. It, it never has an end point. But sometimes, and I've had people in my past that I've had to not necessarily continue a daily relationship with or even a really friendly relationship with because they ran their course. And that's sometimes because I felt maybe an emotional maturity wasn't there anymore or 
maybe I was just at a different phase in my life that I expect that from individuals. I expect my friends to show up and be transparent and real and vulnerable. And if you can't do that, then maybe we're just not a great fit right now. It's not saying yeah. anybody's evil or wrong. It's just maybe it's just not a fit anymore. Well, and that's a really good point you bring up, too, that the idea uh, that if we were to look and I'll just pick friends, for example, but it could be family. It could be a spouse. It could be anyone in your life. But I'll just use friends, for example. You might have 30 friends in your life. The idea that they're that they've been your friends for a long period of time doesn't necessarily mean that they always need to be your friends. And it's kind of scary to even think about that concept. I know sometimes we go, man, you know, this person's been my friend since grade three and what do you mean? You're telling me I don't have to be their friend? But the answer really is you don't have to be their friend. That there's nothing keeping you th friends except your mutual want to be friends with that person. So it's almost like if it was like a job, it would almost be like every morning you kind of reapply for the same job every morning. And you do that kind of with the friendship. It's like, well, I'm friends with this person because I want to be. I'm not friends with them because I have to be. I'm just using that because it's a voluntary relationship. Now, there's some involuntary relationships short term. You could have a job or you could even be in a relationship, a romantic relationship where you're going, well, I can't just leave in the middle of the night. That's not fair to the universe. And you might have obligations there. But long term, really the only person at the end of the day you're ever really accountable for is you. You have to own your actions. And that's not to say there are no consequences, but you have to be willing to live with those consequences. Yeah, I definitely feel with ourselves there are big consequences, sure. you know, whether or not we're going to stand up for our values or what we believe in and stuff like that. So I feel, you know, you can look at you have to be tied to everybody that you've ever had a connection with. Or I always go back to meaningful relationships or relationships that I want in my life. It's about setting up, you know, going back to the earlier podcast about those healthy boundaries and now we're talking about those difficult conversations. So we're talking about having that genuine care. And I think that's the piece here that I want to try to reframe is having that genuine care for the relationship or for the under individual. And that's why I'm having this conversation because I care. I care enough about our relationship that I need to show up. First of all, set a pleasant you know, a positive kind of tone, make sure I'm bringing my own self-awareness to this and I'm not doing the blame game. It's all you. <laughs> you made me this way. I'm understanding what I'm bringing to this argument or maybe this difficult situation. And being able to stay open, having that genuine, you know, stating our perceptions, like we said, of the situation, bringing that genuine curiosity to each other's perspective. Okay, you reacted to that. Why? What is that bringing up with you? That genuine level of seeking to understand, that can help those relationships build and get stronger. So I think those are the things for difficult relationships that I try to reframe in my head Hey, Jill, it's not negative. This is positive. It's an opportunity for growth, transparency, to show up and be genuine. And it's an opportunity to help build our relationship to that stronger kind of level. Well, that's fantastic. So that's going to lead us into the last part of the podcast, which is tips for having difficult conversations. Now, Jillian has already gone over a number of great tips. So I'm going to kind of run through a list here and feel free to jump in on them. First tip we have is preparation. Plan the conversation in advance. I'd like to talk with you about, for example, or we really need to talk about 
whatever. And I so, think that's really important. Sorry to jump in mm-hmm. here, Carl, because you're not blindsiding the other individual. So just like you need time to become self-aware and reflect on the situation, I think it's respectful to give the other person that same time too so that they can become you know, more aware or dig in deep with themselves to see why they're reacting so strongly. So you want the other person to show up prepared, just as if you were going to a business meeting, you wouldn't blindside someone and say, Hey, let's talk about the Johnson file. And you're going, what? Never heard of this thing before. And now you want me to present on it. You're saying, Hey, I'd love to speak with you next week about whatever the issue is. And it gives people the other party space, both physically and mentally to prepare for it. Yeah. I think it's nice to offer that. That's for sure. The other tip we have is to lose the resentment. So pick the right time to have a talk. If it's too soon after the argument, you both might still be angry. And if you wait too long, you might actually shock the other person because they might have forgotten all about it. So you want to try to pick your point where you're going to discuss a challenging issue rationally as soon as it comes up, but within a reasonable time frame. Yeah, so it's leaving that reactionary state. So if you feel like you're going to rip somebody's head off or come in and flip a table, you might want to extend that timeline a little bit longer when you're, like we talked about that manager in the earlier bit of this episode, talking about he was able to separate the action from the individual. So I think when you're there, you're you're ready to have the conversation. And I think it's really important, like you brought up, not to let it go too long because then you risk going, oh, maybe I overreacted. It's not really that big of a deal. And what happens when 16 of those situations happened that you pushed down and you've convinced yourself it's not a big deal, you're going to get explosive. You are seriously going to blow a lid. So respect yourself and the individual enough to say, you know what? This is something that's flipping in me. It's worth a conversation so that we have that better understanding. So a rational conversation, yes. Flipping table, no. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Let's talk next year about ground rules. So another tip we have, ground rules. If you're in a relationship, try discussing how to disagree or to fight fair. So talk about fighting before you fight. I think that's so important, especially with, I find romantic relationships, I think that's a really important piece. I also, if you had a longstanding friendship, it's probably something that's come up, definitely. Um, And I, yeah, different phases of your relationships, it might come up quicker. But I think it's a really useful tool to have a conversation about because we're all different as individuals. And some people feel attacked when maybe somebody is bringing up that, you know, difficult conversation or a behavior that they're not a huge fan of, people can feel attacked. They can feel like, you hate me, you're coming down on me. So I think it's really important to know the person you're talking with and just be aware of maybe the time and space they need, maybe just respecting them, like we said, about giving them that heads up and that, you know, that prep time Or maybe for them, it's about meeting in a neutral space or something like that. So I think the closer relationships in your life, it's definitely worth having the conversation of, hey, you know, we're going to disagree. It's going to happen. What's important to you in those situations? As opposed to just doing how you would like it to be received, giving that person enough respect that you're allowing them to voice how they would like to have these conversations. So the next 
tip that we have is sort of related to ground rules and it's just some examples. So we have, for example, speaking directly and calmly, sticking to facts, avoiding blame, avoiding name calling, avoiding yelling, screaming, put downs, insults, cursing, or th emotional threats or physical threats. Remember, these don't work. The other person is likely to leave, shut down, or reverse that attack as well. So at the end of the day, we want to treat others with respect as it's essential to healthy communication. Yeah, and I think, think of how you would react if somebody started calling you names or yelling at you. You are going to shut down. So you're not going to have that constructive conversation or be able to really you know, get to the meat of why you're so passionate or why you're reacting the way you are. So I feel that if you're at that point that you are name calling or making digs, you're probably not ready to have a very open conversation. So maybe that means calling it. Okay, it looks like we're both getting really passionate here. Maybe let's take some time so we can gain some self-awareness for both of ourselves and bring that back tomorrow. Let's meet up. Yeah, it might be uh, helpful as well to pivot the conversation and say, you know what, we're both pretty heated right now. Why don't we take a moment and discuss about things that we actually agree on? Like, you know, maybe we're trying to, maybe we have a disagreement about money. Well, let's find out what we do agree on money. Like let's, let's rally around what we do agree. And then we can maybe split off at a later time about what we don't agree about. Sometimes it's helpful. I think too, it's helpful to put a person, the other person that you might be arguing with in a position where they can, and there's a term that, that comes to mind where it's called saving face, where you can allow them to leave with their dignity. So the idea being that in order for me to win, I must beat you into submission where you lose. And I don't like that. I'd rather we go with win-win. Yeah. And we both leave, both feeling good about it. Hey, and I think about, you know, sometimes we've had difficult conversations at work where we've received feedback that we're not real happy about, but we're glad they told us. You're going to, it's okay, you know, maybe I need to do a bit better job in this area or that area. And at the end of the day, you want to be able to leave going, okay, I appreciate that, rather than me just acknowledging, yes, you're right, I totally screwed up. That's not a fun position to be in. So the idea of saving face, I think, comes into play as well. And I think it feeds nicely in with sandwiching. Like, have you ever, mm -hmm. like that phrase, like you sandwich bad stuff. And, you know, I'm really going to make a clear distinguishing thing here. Sandwiching stuff with real, genuine, tangible stuff. So not just making fluff up. Okay, so... If I need to have a difficult conversation and it's getting heated, maybe before you go into that conversation, look at the things you really admire about that individual and bring those in as well because that can help them not feel attacked. So like I said, genuine. Let's be genuine here. Not just random stuff that you just want to try to de-escalate the situation. Think about it. Honestly, put the time and energy in to thinking about those positive traits that the other person has so that they can realize, wait a second, I'm not just being attacked here. This person sees me for the person I am and how great I am and other things. They're just having an honest conversation with me about this behavior. And the reason it's called sandwiching is because we'd start off with a compliment or something that we like. Then we would put in the middle, like the little meat inside the sub sandwich, we'd put in the criticism or the area we'd like changed. And then we would end with something else that they're doing positive as well so that they can take the bookends of the positivity and inside of it is the criticism that they can work on. And I like your idea about making sure that it's genuine. It's, you're not just making something up. So an example of a poor, a poor sandwich would be, hey, I really like your tie. You're an absolutely terrible employee, but hey, at least you show up on time. <laughs> 
that'd be <laughs> that's a perfect example. That would be pretty pretty poor because pretty at poor. the end of it, you're going, "Oh, geez, you know, those two compliments didn't seem to be that great." But one that might work would be if you're giving feedback to a peer or to a to a coworker, you might say, "You know what." I really want to cover some things that you're doing really well and then go through and say, you know, there's one area I've noticed that we can maybe do a better job here. I'd like to get your feedback on that. Do you agree? And they make, oh, yeah, I agree. I would love some mentoring or some coaching in that area. Wonderful. Let's talk about that. And then you would end it with, you know, I really love your attitude about the way we're able to discuss this. I don't want you to lose that. I don't want you to lose sight of this as we move forward. And that's beautiful because you're just recognizing keep going back to that manager. It was such a good example, Carl. Mm -hmm. It's just that. It's not the person as a whole. It's just an action. Remember that. Make sure that you're going into those conversations, that it's the action and not the person as a whole that you're fighting against here. And the last tip we've got is to take responsibility. So remember, only you can make you feel a certain way. So you'd want to use I statements when you're arguing with someone or when you're having a difficult conversation. You'd want to say things like, I feel. So you want to be clear and be specific about what the other person did that contributed to your reaction. So I love what you said, Jillian, about it. You're not calling the other person evil or a loser. You're saying, hey, I need your help. You and me together, let's work on this issue. Can I get your buy-in? Can I get your acknowledgement that this is a thing? And then we can both work on it together. Yeah, and you're allowing them. So going even back further, saying how, it's your perception of a situation. You're getting them or you're giving them the time and the space to give theirs as well. So that's a really important piece. Allowing both parties the opportunity here to say what it is in their mind, their perception of that situation. So, you know, difficult conversations, obviously they are difficult, um, but they don't have to be difficult for the same reasons we might be thinking. We can embrace that challenge. We can embrace the difficultness, just like in earlier episodes, we've embraced the idea of failing or we've embraced the ideas of learning. And I think that's a really cool concept that we can go, you know what, let's lean into this difficulty because the ultimate investment will pay off down the road. So true. It's awkward at first, guys. I promise. I totally get it. I really, really do. But the more often we do it, the more true, authentic relationships we will have surrounding us. I like the idea as well. Uh, one, one last thought here. I like the idea as well. You know, if you're in a work environment where you work with a manager or you work with a coach or a supervisor, I don't think there's anything wrong with sitting down with them and actually asking them about it, saying, hey, I noticed, you know, you're the boss. You have the floor full of coworkers here. What's it like when you have to deliver bad news to someone? What's what goes through your mind? There's nothing wrong with asking people for what their experience is. It doesn't necessarily make it right for you, but it's much like, you know, every golf course in the world is different. Well, every manager is slightly different as well. Every person in the world is slightly different. You can get different perspectives and you can find what works for yourself as well. And I think to do that, like seek people that you respect their behaviors or, you know, you're talking that manager, like if you're acknowledging or noticing that maybe people are more amped up around them, people feel positive towards them. You hear a lot of positive comments about their type of managing style. Don't be afraid, exactly like Carl said, to reach out and have those conversations. Guys, we're here trying to make the world a little bit better, okay? To make it a better place, that means sharing information, being vulnerable with each other, and being transparent about our own journeys. And I think that can help all of us. 
Well said. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode on difficult conversations, and we invite you to check out our archives on our Facebook page. So the Facebook page is called Power Yourself. You can like us and follow us. You can ask a question or even leave a comment. We encourage you to get involved. You can also go into iTunes and you can leave a review. That would mean the world to us. We would love to hear from you. So until next time on the Power Yourself podcast, I'm Carl. I'm Jill. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.